And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Well, here we go. It is the last weighing in podcast show of 2021. We are on show 214. This is it. The end of the year. We got so much to talk about. Josh Thompson, how you feeling there? <laughs> not good <laughs> people be tearing me up in the comments like bro josh got a drug problem no, you just, hey you know hey if you i've told you how many times just come talk yeah. to me I'll, I'll help you with you these guys. problems man just come talk to me you don't have to take that shit <laughs> hey guys hey guys just, just so we're all clear i've got covid that's why and i've been filming with covid over the last couple of shows so i just want to make sure you guys Everyone knows, uh, just taking all the standard precautions, doing whatever I can. So, you know, hey, this is why I look like shit. <laughs> feel like shit, I've, look like shit. I'm, I actually feel okay. It's yeah. just, you know, yeah, I didn't, it didn't, like the first day was the worst. And after that, I got, I got all the other treatments and stuff that I needed. So, um, you don't seem you much know. different than normal. <laughs> wow. Ah, there it wow. is. Oh, uh, so. Yeah, uh, other than that, man, just been uh, going through the steps, and uh, yeah, so for all you guys in the comment section going, man, Josh looks like shit. <laughs> Dude, you're aging fast. You really uh, are. Uh, it, <laughs> bro, people people were, they were getting some words on me, and the, uh. <laughs> I felt like... I was like, guys, calm down, man. It was like, first I was high, but you went through that for a phase. Oh, yeah. Remember? Because we were filming, and you were filming until 3 or 4 in the morning, because after we'd travel and come back, everyone's like, man, John's always high as fuck. <laughs> John, who's never smoked a damn thing in his life. Yeah, and I'm like, and I, by the way, guys, I don't smoke weed, so yep. um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have those problems. I don't have the sleepy eye thing. I just a lot of it is too. I've actually went back, John, and started watching some of our shows, like paying attention to what I look like. Because after people started doing that, a lot of it is because my camera, we have our system set up where I look down a little bit. I've got to maybe figure out a way to put the. <laughs> The camera a little bit lower because I noticed that that I I have to look down to look at you. Well, that's what I'm doing with you. I know, but for some reason, your eyes look like they're going straight ahead, and mine are not. Like mine, mine kind of look like, and I have, I think I have smaller eyes than you. (laughs) So they. That's why I'm a heavyweight. (laughs) Yes, yes. You are. You are the goat of heavyweights, from what I, (laughs) from what I can say. You go, baby. All right. Well, uh, you know, look, look, guys. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy the show. Uh, we've gone a lot, uh, gone through a lot this whole year together, and it's been fun. It's been a fun process. I think uh, we broke a hundred thousand this year. We want to thank you guys for that. That was very we we appreciate that a lot. Um, you guys have been keeping the positive uh, comments in the comment section. Majority of you guys have. You have a couple of stragglers that that's what they do. They hit YouTube sections and uh, comment sections and destroy them, blow them up. But uh, we want to thank you guys, man. We really, we do really do appreciate um, all the support from all the fans. And uh, I've actually had people reach out to me and saying how the kids and then and even their wives actually enjoy listening to us because now our breakdowns have helped them understand the sport a little bit more and what to look for when when watching a fight. And so that makes me feel really good about the whole situation. So uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to fall in love with the, the sport itself and not just the promotion. And I know we work for Bellator and people talk about us being biased and, and, and it's fine. Look, and I'm okay with that. Look, this is really what it comes down to. We, we care about the fighters and we care about the sport and the sport grows. Guess what? 
we grow. And so that's how this all goes about. So we will continue to talk about as much MMA as possible and occasionally some boxing in theirs, which we've tried, you know, to do. Um, you know, we talk about the major boxing fights. We try not to talk about all the boxing fights because we are, I am not as inclined or I'm not in tune with boxing as much as John probably is. Um, but when it comes to all these things, uh, we want you guys to understand we're trying to help the sport grow itself. So we're not trying to be biased. I mean, sometimes I do come across bias because I am a homer when it comes to people I've trained with or people I'm friends with and things like that. So, and I, but I'm very upfront about that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this year with us as much as we've enjoyed spending our knowledge and sharing our knowledge with you uh, over this year. So we want to thank you guys to continue to subscribe to us and also to share our content all around. And we started the Clips channel because someone said, why are you guys wasting time on the Clips channel? Well, we also understand that the U.S. and not just U.S., but the worldwide attention span right now at this time is not the highest. And so having a Clips channel, having an extras channel, which is what we have, we've created a special show for that, is because people don't want to sit and watch a two-hour-long podcast like the one that we produce. And so we produce that extra channel for for just small clips for everyone, for you guys. And um, I, Dave and I have been talking and about with John also, too, about creating a little bit more extra content that is just strictly for that show or strictly for that channel. So hopefully that all starts to get created in 2022. But we want to just thank you guys. I know I've said that a couple of times already today, but I want to thank you guys really from the bottom of our heart for supporting both channels and continue to support us as individuals as well as our weighing in podcast. So thank you guys. And then don't forget that magical word as well. Algorithms. Subscribe. <laughs> oh, algorithms. Oh, well, I that's thought you were going to say reason. subscribe. No, that's, subscribe. That's another reason. That's another reason. Think about algorithms it. When we, when, are everything. when we started this, I think our first couple podcasts, we tried to keep them at 20 minutes. That was the yeah. most, right? We were doing, you know, no more than 20 minutes. And then people started complaining, we, we want more. So then we started doing a little bit more. And now we're at two hours, two and a half hours of show. I feel like Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing is, is it's just you and I. Like, I know. It's not, you know. So you know, we, we have podcast Dave to bounce things off of every once in a while. So, But, I mean, that's only when we want the WWE perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, all good. Man, it's great. So, um, all right. Well, hey, let's jump into some stuff. What do you got for us there, Dave? So today. today we are with being in the last show of the year and all we are going to do mm-hmm. some awards weighing in awards boom, everybody boom, else boom. wants to do their favorite fight their favorite fighter so we are going to pick weighing ins fight of the year for ufc and fight of the year for bellator and we're going to pick weighing ins fighter of the year for ufc and fighter of the year for bellator okay so let's hop right. into first we're going to talk fight of, fight of the year for UFC. So contenders that you guys can see right now. Mm-hmm. Gaethje versus Chandler. Not contenders. These are what I've picked. <laughs> these, these, well, these are, these are the nominees and you guys will pick yeah. your fight of the year. So Gaethje okay. versus Chandler. Dillashaw versus Sanhagen. Jan versus Sanhagen. Ortega versus Volk. And Holloway versus Rodriguez. So let's get your fight of the year and your justification. All right. So the UFC fight of the year. I mean, if I look at it, I would, ha- I mean, I think because it is currently on our mind, John, and it's the, one of the most recent fights, but I would have to say it'd have to be Chandler and Gaethje. <clears throat> um, just overall, it had a little bit of everything. I mean, there was a lot of domination by Justin Gaethje, but if you look at also to like the other fight that I would consider in contention would be Volkanovski and Ortega, but that was a lot of domination as well with some moments there where, uh, 
Brian Ortega was potentially going to win that fight. Yep. So if you're saying like <clears throat> which fight really kind of stole the show, uh, I mean like I love the Chandler and the and the and the Gaethje fight, and I'm not, and everyone knows you know I'm I'm not being a homer here, not being biased <laughs> at all in this situation. Okay. I like both those fighters in terms of their athleticism and their ability to fight and the way that they fight and how they fight. I love that fight. But I also look at what was at stake. And I, I want to go, I'm going to end up going with Volkanovski and Ortega because it was a five round fight. What was at stake? And the, even though it was dominated by Volkanovski, that moment, I think it was in the third round that really kind of just made that fight what it was. And so there was so much more at stake in that in that championship fight. <clears throat> I'm going to go with Volkanovski and Brian Ortega. Well, I, I would tell you there's so many, and you know, I sat here with podcast Dave going on what, which fights I thought were great, and it really depends. You know, there was so, there was so many good fights, and you hate mm-hmm. to take anything away from any of the people because there was preliminary fights that were fantastic. I mean, when uh, God, we had so many. I thought Ponzinibbio versus Baeza was a great fight. You talk about a title contention fight with Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prochesca. That was a just a great fight. You know, but I pick exactly my my top fight has to be Volkanovski against Ortega because yeah. there were moments where that fight was almost over both ways, mm-hmm. and it just. The guys were just so tough and just did things that were almost, I'm, I'm giving Volkanovsky on that, almost unhuman-like in the ability to stay in that with the submission that was on and the way it was on. I mean, look at that topside guillotine. You know, first off, you know how it feels because it sucks because it hurts like a son of a bitch, and you know how tight that thing was by the way he's kicking, trying to get out and just clanking balls in getting himself out. And so I, I go with that's I thought I thought Gaethje and Chandler was a fun fight to watch, but it did not have the same emphasis based upon that belt wasn't on the line. So I got to go with Ortega versus uh, Volkanovski. I thought it was the fight of the year in the UFC. Yeah, I thought so as well. And I also want to say that I think this that it would probably be just about as close a fight with Gaethje and Chandler as it was with Reyes and uh, Yuri Prochaska. Because that fight itself, <clears throat> both those fights to me had back and forth moments. Yeah. Sure, the finish was for Yuri was was for Yuri. Phenomenal, yeah. And the the other fight went the full distance. And it was a it was back and forth as well with big shots being taken. But both fights were pretty one sided. Yuri was dominating the Reyes fight. Sure, he got rocked and clipped a little bit there, but you know he he ended up getting the knockout. Whereas with Chandler and Gaethje, Chandler was he was in it, but was never really in it. He was always fighting from behind, you know, in that fight when I watched it. Yeah. But I think the fight that was like I, I agree with you that the fight that deserved to be fight of the year was definitely the Volkanovski. And then you could take a look, Corey Sanhagen. You want to talk about yeah. a guy that was in fights as far as incredible finishes? He had the one, you know, like against Frankie Edgar, and then he had T.J. Dillashaw. That was that was a fight of the year contestant. And then he had Peter Yan in in that fight. That was a fight of the year contestant because that was a great matchup, and they were going at that. So, I mean, there's there's just some incredible fights out there, and it's hard just to pick one. But I got to go yeah. with Vulcan Ortega. Got it. And so I should have mentioned as well, the the category here was caliber of fight, so implications kind of that apply here. Um, 
which is why these high caliber, high implication fights were listed as a nominees. Um, John did mention the honorary fights that we um, mm-hmm. that we liked as well. So with that, let's hop into fight of the year from Bellator. Our nominees are Homase versus Daly, Pico versus Lee, Pettis versus Horiguchi, McKee versus Pitbull, and Yag Shimaridov versus Albrechtson. Said mm. that I said that flawlessly. Look at that. <laughs> I said that flawlessly. Oh, Yag Shimaridov. That's it. <laughs> Go ahead and say his first uh, name there, Dave. What was uh, that first name? No idea. Dovelish <laughs> <laughs> thumb. Uh, Love that, man. That's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, so fight of the year for Bellator. You know, I have to go back to, I have to go back to what was at stake. Okay. And uh, you don't want to, so I don't want to though. (laughs) I want to go to the other one, but I got to go back to what was at stake. And I got to go with McKee versus Pitbull. A million dollars on the line. The kid is undefeated. The expectations was for him to win. I mean, he had expectations for himself to yeah. win. <clears throat> but, uh, Patricky, or not Patricky, but Patricio had the expectations to continue to be who he was. And that was just to go out there and could keep knocking these guys down. You know, I had that when I, when I went back and was evaluating that fight for the whole year, expecting the two of them to be in the finals. I thought the possibility would be that the old dog, you know, Patricio would find a way to catch him on the chin as he stepped in, as he jumped in. But as John and I figured out quickly in that, as I figured out quickly as well, is that the speed was a huge factor. And you could tell right off the very first combination that it was just so fast that he just had no idea how fast McKee was. And he never let that, he never, McKee never let him establish how fast he was. He threw the combination fast, threw the head kick quick, Everything came super fast, and then the physical size and the strength of him took over after that, and it was he dominated the fight. <clears throat> I have to go with that fight. Plus, how much was at stake, John? The million dollars, the winner of the tournament, all the expectations riding on McKee, saying like, hey, is he the real deal? And he would have never been considered the real deal unless he dispatched him the way that he did. See, that's the thing. That's what's got people buzzing about Antonio McKee right now. And not Antonio. Sorry, AJ McKee, uh, sorry not AJ. Antonio, but AJ McKee. AJ McKee. <laughs> but it, but yeah, people are people... buzzing about Antonio and his coaching ability. So yeah, that's coaching. good. But that's but that's what have people buzzing about him right now yeah. is that he's young still, he's undefeated, and he dispatched someone that was one of the best in Bellator history. Yeah, you're so right. I'm going to go back to 2020 when that tournament started, and they asked both of us, "All right, give us your dark horse." And I was the shithead, and I picked AJ McKee. And you go, you can't pick him. He's not a dark horse. I said, oh, yes, I can, because you didn't, and I'm taking it. And there was a reason I was taking it. It was I honestly believed that he was going to be in the finals because of the fact that he was getting better and better at his speed. And as we talk about it all the time, and speed kills because when someone is visibly faster than another fighter, it takes so many things for that other fighter to catch up and do damage to him, that they have to take risk. And in taking those risks, you leave openings, you leave opportunities, and you can get caught and put away. And that's really what occurred in that fight. And it's it was a huge fight. I'm going to go with the Horaguchi versus Pettis fight. 
And I, I agree with you. The million dollars is on the line, the double belts, but this was a championship fight too. I would love to go with Homasi versus Daly because mm-hmm. it was a phenomenal, you know, just all Homasi in the beginning had him hurt. And, and I'm being honest. I I'm, I was trying to remember, you know, when I've seen Paul Daly truly hurt other than when he fought Nick Nick Diaz in Strike Force, And I, I couldn't come up with one where I go, man, he's he's hurt. And he was seriously hurt in that fight with Homasi, but Homasi couldn't put him away, and then he came back in the second round. It was fantastic, but if you're looking at severity of the contest and what was on the line, Horaguchi and Pettis was huge. And, and the reason I'm going to pick that one, and I say it's right there with Pitbull and AJ, is Horaguchi had given up that title. He had given up that belt. No one asked him to. It wasn't like they you know, stripped him of it. He gave it up and said, I'll come back and win it when I'm healthy. And he, he truly felt like he was the champion, so it was almost like you know, a champion versus champion matchup in a way based upon Horiguchi had not lost the title. Pettis had won it from Archuleta. And then Horiguchi was dominating that fight. He had won every round. He'd won almost every minute of every round. And Pettis did what makes the sport of MMA so cool is it doesn't matter what the scorecards say. It doesn't matter what's on the scoreboard or any of those things. You could be 12 touchdowns down and it takes one shot to become the winner. And that's what he did in that. And that was a remarkable knockout and a remarkable fight overall. So that's what I'm going to go with, even though I agree yours is a huge fight and a big win by AJ McKee. Got it. All right. Well, with that, let's hop into fighter of the year for the UFC. Your nominees are going to be Kamara Usman with 3-0 victories this year, Charles Oliveira with 2-0, Juliana Pena with 2-0, Rose Namajunas with 2-0, and Valentina Shevchenko with 2-0. God damn. That's a list right there, and that is rough. <laughs> two of two of Kamaru Usman's wins were against George Masvidal, right? No, one. They were both not in twenty twenty one. Think Pull this up for yeah, me, please. I think they were. I think it was one Colby, and then what? Two Usman or two? I, I think uh, it was. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Was his first one oh, no, was Abu Gilbert Dhabi? Gilbert, was that in twenty twenty one? Gilbert Burns. Oh, Gilbert, Gilbert Burns. Burns. Yeah. Gilbert Burns. Okay, yeah. so three. So okay, okay. <clears throat> okay 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 mm. okay look at you, you can pick tomorrow and you you wouldn't be wrong yeah yeah but you could pick any yeah. of these and you won't be wrong I, I i kind of disagree a little bit john i think it's going to be between charles and it's going to be between usman i'm going to lean a little bit more towards charles a, a tiny bit though i, I honestly <laughs> I think it's because Kamara was never the the person that left another division and people just counted out. He, he was a guy that he he progressively was getting better. He was getting more dominant. He has gotten progressively better. Whereas whereas Charles Oliveira, he left another weight class because the weight cut was killing him. He wanted to give it a try to a different weight class. People were counting him out. He systematically just started dismantling people on his way up. Well, he did. Silently. Pretty much silently. Then he finally got into that top six, seven, and then he just started just putting it on people. And and I'm being, I'm going to be one included. When I sat down and when Chandler left Bellator, when they whatever let him go to the UFC or whatever it was, okay, when that happened, I can't, I sat up here and I said, I I don't see Charles Oliveira beating him. 
because Charles can't take him down, and Charles, I don't think, has the chin for him. But I didn't know that Michael Chandler was going to fight as stupid as he normally does, which he does, <laughs> you know. And 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 you should have. I didn't think that he would be able to withstand the 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 power which he brought that aggressiveness with that Charles. Because when you watch with Dustin Poirier, he took some big shots, got dropped. So I thought the similar situation was going to happen with Michael Chandler. It, and it did didn't happen. It, I know it did, it did. but it wasn't. A, it wasn't at the level. He was level just able. Which, he was able to fight his way through it. But look, he was in trouble in that fight with Chandler. Yeah, he was. He was. He was, in, he, he was yeah. in trouble in both fights at certain points. But yes. his heart so, now will not let him stop. Yeah. But I look at, when I look at, I guess when I look at a fighter of the year, I look at the adversity that they've overcome from before. Okay. If they've had any adversity or someone that explodes onto the scene, neither one of these guys have exploded onto the scene. And if someone did explode onto the scene, it'd be more Charles than it would be Kamaru Usman. That's the other thing. So Charles making a he exploding back onto the scene at a different weight class, becoming the interim champion, then becoming the world champion, and the way in the fashion in which he did it, because a lot of people had counted him out against Dustin Poirier as well, and so you count him out against Chandler, which I had. Okay, I thought he wouldn't be able to take the shot, and then he gets, you know, and then then he, the same thing happened with the uh, Dustin Poirier fight where he gets dropped. And but he's got the X factor. He's got that little X factor in terms of people don't want to go to the ground with him, you know. And and that's what made that fight different. And so I'm gonna probably and I, as much as I want to give as much credit as possible to Kamar Usman for everything he's achieved. Um, beating your teammate is not the easiest thing to do because you know that they know you inside and out. And the way in in the manner in which he did it, because Burns knew that he wasn't gonna take him down. Yeah. Burns knew that he Burns wasn't going to try to take him down and Kamara wasn't going to try to take him down because he knew that he was better than him on the ground. So they both knew they had to work on their stand-up. But I think Burns, the way he came in feeling, the way he walked into that cage, the way he talked about the fight, he knew that he was the guy that had a little bit better of the stand-up exchanges when they sparred because he knew if I was able to pressure him and land some good shots that he would may, eventually make Kamara Usman shoot right into his submission game. And then when that didn't happen, and it just changed the way that uh, Burns fought that fight. And so Usman just took over, and he was a lot more confident with that jab. He was a lot more confident with his combinations, and it's gotten better progressively since that fight. You know, and so then after that, Masvidal, which was a last-minute, I believe, last-minute replacement. No. <clears throat> no, 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 no. That was the first time. Yeah. Sorry. Then he comes out, and he starches Masvidal. I mean, okay, who, you know? who, who have you seen starch Masvidal? No one. Nobody. I mean, and not only, I mean, the... A huge knockout. Yeah. Unbelievable. I haven't seen anyone starch him. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone starch him. I've seen someone knock him off balance. Uh, the Russian kid, Rustam Kabbalah, Kabbalah. Hit him with a spinning back kick, yeah. right? There was that one, and then there was Toby Amato a long, long time well, ago. Was, caught him in a weird, a funky submission. Yeah, caught him in a weird, funky submission. But those are the only times that I've ever seen him ever, it seemed like in any type of trouble, really, in a lot of his fights. He's just someone that seems to get by without taking any damage, without getting a lot of, you know, without taking a lot of shots. Um, you know, and then his last fight with Colby Covington. So, John, I'm going to lean towards Charles now. The reason why I'm going to lean towards Charles is because I'm a 55-pounder. He's a 55-pounder. Okay? And I'm so going to be going a homer in this again. situation. I'm going homer, guys. Right. This is what I was talking about, okay? Um, I've never trained with Charles. I don't, I, I've only met him like in passing saying hi. I've never talked with him. Um, but the thing is, is I, I really believe there's a lot to be said about somebody who can come back from him understanding at 45 that going down wasn't going to make the situation better. Okay. And that he needed to go up. 
and him making that adjustment and becoming world champion at a higher weight class than a lot of people right now in this day and age, and they have been in for the longest time of the sport, thinks that they need to cut weight to become a champion. He did the opposite, and he became a champion. And he beat everybody that most people had said that he couldn't beat. And me being included one of them against the Chandler situation, you know, I, I want, I'm going to give it to him. I don't I'm blame give it to him. And like I said, I don't think you can lose on this list. Look at Juliana Pena. Man, just the way that she won that title, that's a hell of a, a, a resume statement maker for Fighter of the Year. But I, I would say that I think there's other ones. You know, Valentina Shevchenko, just, she's remarkable and just keeps dominating very good fighters and uh, making them fight her fight. I'm going to go with Rose Namajunas. And the reason I'm going to go with Rose Namajunas is similar to what you're saying to a point. She didn't change weight classes, but she beat Joanna when nobody was beating Joanna as far as no one believed that Rose could beat her. And she took that title, knocked her out in the first round, and then came back and rematched her and won again against the person that was beating everyone. And then she did it after losing her title kind of getting you know a little frustrated with the sport not happy with how things were and just kind of needed time away came back no one expected her to beat you know way lee they, they looked at that and way lee was going to beat her and she came out and starched her with that kick and then rematched her and beat her in the five rounds mm-hmm. man to me if you're beating the person who is number one was the champion and then number one and that's your fights you're pretty goddamn good that's an impressive year i agree with you with uzman and Oliver. they're phenomenal and and i could i could go with uzman right now saying look you beat gilbert yeah. burns you beat you knock out masvidal and you beat colby covington you are the fighter of the year i'm just gonna go from being a homer of being heavyweights i'm going all the way down to straw weight i'm gonna go with rose nami yeah, it's hard not to go with Rose because she's such a sweet girl. She is. Like everything about her, everything you see but about her, you love so the energy well. she brings. And she does bring an energy in that cage and the style in which she fights <clears throat> stays long with the combination. All the questions that I had that, that I needed answered about her was in the second fight with Joanna, she slowed down. Yeah. And then in her second fight with Wei Li, she seemed like she was getting better as the fight went on. So which that, you those didn't questions expect. weren't which I didn't expect. Yeah. Those are that's that shows you the adversity of a of a true champion, someone that has understood her weaknesses in that second Yoana fight and came out and fixed them for the second uh, Wei Lee fight. Yep. You know, cuz in the first two fights with both those people, with both those females, she starched them. And and so how can you go against a person that stands in the in the cage and tells you I'm the best? She yeah. tells you. <laughs> it's right there. Just ask her. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to deny it. <laughs> it's kind of hard to all, deny All it. of those people deserve to be fighter of the year, though. Yeah. yeah. All right. There can only be one. Let's get into Bellator fighter of the year. So our nominees are AJ McKee with one win, mm-hmm. uh, Amosov with one win, Sergio Perez with two wins, Pico with two wins, and Corey Anderson with two wins. And we did consider, again, caliber of fight and implications and all of this. Mm. I'm going to go straight out and just tell you right now, I, I like those, but there's two guys on that list. And yes, the the fight from AJ, the great fight, you know, has been fantastic. 
but Pico had mm. two fights, one with Aiden Lee and one with Justin Gonzalez. Both of those fights were absolutely phenomenal. Just amazing as far as some of the things that were occurring, the way that Aiden Lee fought his way out of things, and Pico just stayed on him, and it was the pressure and the cardio of Pico that just got over on Justin Gonzalez, who was just tough as nails in that fight. And then there is the guy that I talked about earlier, Pettis. He won the title from Archuleta in a beautiful five-round exhibition as far as how you manipulate someone in the cage, how you gain in footwork, how you make the counter strikes, make them make the mistakes. It was a beautiful you know, show of what a real classy, good technician can do. And then that fight with Horiguchi, I got to go. Pettis is the fighter of the year. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's tough. You, you're kind of, you're kind of right there. You're, I feel the same way that you feel. I'm going to actually lean a little bit more towards Aaron Pico. Okay. Because like I said, you're a homer. I, no, no, no. <laughs> this is not where I'm being a homer. Right. This is not where I'm being a homer. I'm actually taking what I said, um, against Charles Oliveira, what I said about Charles. I look at where he came from. And I look at how many people counted him out. And I look at the the steps that he had to take to get himself back on track. I look at the, and you you can obviously attest to this, is that he is a completely different fighter than when he started this year in 2020. When it started from 2020 to 2021, he is a completely different fighter. He is way better. He is what everyone had hoped he would have been when he entered into his MMA career. But he was young. And he didn't, he even himself admitted that he didn't understand and didn't know anything about the sport. He knew how to wrestle and he knew how to box. He didn't know how to put it together. He didn't know the difference between boxing and MMA fighting and boxing and wrestling and MMA wrestling. He didn't know those things. There's a difference. Yep. You could be the best wrestler in the world on the circuit, on the Olympic ladder. Doesn't mean you're going to go out there and get takedowns in the MMA cage. Sure, you may get one or two, but they're not going to come as easily as you thought they were going to come because you're getting punched, kneed, kicked, all of those things. There's a cage Other to hold somebody in- up. Exactly. So things. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Pico and not to take anything away yeah. from Pettis. I think Pettis deserves definitely – he's right there. I can see why you picked him especially after the Horiguchi fight. But I'm an, like I said, I look at it based off of your body of work and where you have come from. And that Justin Gonzalez fight to me, the Aiden Lee fight proved a lot to me. That was the steps I want to see. But then when you saw the Justin Gonzalez fight, if you watched that fight, damn, Aaron Pico jumped leaps and bounds from the Aiden Lee fight to the Justin Gonzalez fight. It was a phenomenal fight. Every aspect of that fight, he dominated. And when he wasn't dominating, he was pushing the action, making it feel like he was dominating the fight. And we knew that he was always in shape, but he's now got a full repertoire of tools in his bag. In his tool bag, he's got his boxing, he's got his wrestling, he's throwing his kicks, he's kneeing now. Throwing kicks, he's throwing spinning heel kicks. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend (laughs) it. I wouldn't recommend it either. (laughs) Even his coach said, stop uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like I said, when I start when I started this whole conversation, it came down to I looked at where he came from and how many times people counted him out, like Charles Oliveira, yeah. and look at where they're at now. And Pico's got a long ways to go still, but he's in that conversation now to talking about a title shot, you know, and he's in that mix of probably top five. Top, he's top number six, number five right now. So if you put keep him there and he continues to win and beats those next those next tier uh, fighters, 
Uh, he'll be looking at a title shot hopefully by the end of the year, if not early 2023. So I think he's definitely in that mix. <clears throat> Whereas um, with Pettis, he's the you know he's the champ in the weight class below, and he's got a lot of work left ahead of him in front of him. And it was a great win. But I also look at he wasn't dominating that fight up until that moment. He was losing every aspect of that fight. So I know it was a great comeback and it was a great win. And it was a great knockout for him, for him to keep his title. But I'm looking for the progression of which I see in Aaron Pico. That's why I went with him. Okay. Sounds good. Let's go, Dave. All right. Well, that wraps up our first ever weighing and awards. <laughs> and next year, maybe we'll do some more awards. But for this year, we're going to wrap up there. Two fighters of the year. Two fights of the year. And with that, we'll get into some news. So our first piece of news is the announcement of Diego Sanchez versus Kevin Lee and Khabib's promotion, Eagle FC. Let's get your reaction. This is at 165, am I correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, so this is at 165. Is this for a title or is this just for a fight? I don't think okay, it. I wasn't sure if they were just stamping this as a title. I don't think. I don't. You know, like this is their first two big name fighters that they've worked with or signed. You know, and then is it going to be for a title? And then I wasn't sure. I didn't hear any of this. No but uh, I'm happy, man. I'm happy for Khabib and what he's doing in terms of his promotion. Um, you're gonna you're gonna see that that Eagle FC is gonna run into kind of a lot of problems in terms of not problems. I shouldn't say problems. It's not a problem. Okay, is I should rephrase that is that they need to sign name value people. And so people are going to say, oh, well, Kevin Lee's washed up, Diego's washed up. You guys, they have to sign name value people to get people to watch and tune in because the casual fan, the normal fan at home, sitting on Twitter talking shit, okay, about every other organization that's not the UFC. What are are they talking? Yeah, talking trash. (laughs) So they're talking trash because they don't know any other fighters than, than the fighters that have come from the UFC. And so that's why this whole thing happens. So when they when they need to sign fighters for name recognition, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get Kevin Lee's, Diego Sanchez, and these type of fights to get the casual fan to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to tune in and watch. But what they're going to find when they do that is what they should be. Because when we had talked, when I entered this show, what did I say? I said, we do this show so we can talk about the sport of MMA. You guys, when you guys watch Eagle FC, take a look at who is on their undercard what young studs and stars they're potentially trying to build. That's what you guys should be watching out for. That's what this is all about. They're going to have this be the headliner, or they're going to have this be like one of the main fights on the card, if not the headliner. But guess what? The young talent that you're going to see on the undercard or on that that main card, but underneath the main event, those kids, those studs will be just stone-cold killers. And you guys need to pay very close attention to them because every organization – whether it's UFC, Bellator, PFL, they, they've got to be keeping an eye out on them because those are the ones that you're going to see next in the bigger promotions. Now, I'm not saying that the Eagle FC is not going to try to be a big promotion themselves, but I think in the beginning they're going to have a hard time doing that. And I think that this, if you're promoting this, if you're, if you're watching the sport of MMA, you guys need to keep an eye out on the young talent that Khabib has on his young roster. It's a matter of, I'm just going to say it. First off, I don't like the fight. I'm just being honest. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Kevin Lee is 29 years old. Diego will be 40 when that fight, because I think Diego turns 40 right at the end of the year here. So um, Diego's been just a warrior. He's a he's an incredible guy. I love him. But you take a look at it. When 
here comes the speed. Speed creates problems. And in the stand-up, although Diego's, Diego has an unusual style, it will, it will give Kevin some problems. But if Kevin gets on a rhythm on him, it's going to be tough for Diego. Diego's gonna, not going to have uh, – it's going to be very tough for him to take Kevin down. And if he's on the ground with Kevin, he's going to be great. It's when he's on the feet with him, absorbing damage, that's not going to be good. And it's the speed factor that makes the big difference here. I understand what could be what Khabib is trying to do by putting this fight together, but I look at it and I go, you know, Diego's done a ton in the sport of MMA, and he's he's you know he's had some great times, he's had some hard times. I I just don't want to see him going out with him being the guy. You know, it was kind of that way. You know, you know, with his last fights in the UFC, they're 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 trying to use his name, get get other guys over, and you know. Get that victory against the guy who is the, uh, you know, the legend of the sport, the guy that's been there forever, the guy who won, you know, the Ultimate Fighter won, and I don't know, I just, I don't think it's a good fight, and I mean, I'll watch it. I'm not saying I won't. I just don't think that the matchup at this point in their careers is a fair matchup. I think you know, Diego's got to get the fight down. If he gets the fight down, he yeah. can he can definitely win the fight. Other than that, he's gonna have a hard time. I all, but here's the thing though, Kevin Lee has never been known for the way he conserves his energy. This is true. And at a pace, in the pace at which Diego fights, the longer the fight goes, I actually got to lean. It's going to favor. Yeah, that's Diego true. Sanchez, that's true. You know, because one thing Diego's always been able to do is come in in shape, and he's always been able to push the pace. Yeah. That first round is going to be rough. Oh. So if he can get through that first round, maybe even the first round and a half. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think if you you could potentially start to see him take over. Depends on which Kevin Lee shows up. I said yeah. this, John, I said this two years ago when we started this show. He's the kid that I think that everyone has extreme high expectations for. He just hasn't been able to live up to it. I don't know what's wrong with him in terms of conditioning, cardio, mindset. I don't know what that is. But he's got to figure it out at some point in his in stage of his career. He's 29 years old. This is when it should be the most effective. Oh, yeah. Because he's in his prime. He should be this on fire right prime. now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't understand what it's all about, but... Um, I'm going to, I'm obviously going to lean towards Kevin in this situation, but I think Diego is the longer this fight goes, if he can weather that first round storm, I think he's got a good chance of winning. Yeah. You, you, you may because be right the, there. I, I just look at the speed just scares the hell out of me comparatively, but here, but you remember who else had, didn't have speed, but he had a very herky jerky style was Keith Jardine. Oh, yeah. He found ways to find the chin. He found and he kind of threw off some of the top level fight. And Cause remember, he had he a strange stand up style, man. It's hard to figure that's out. That's what he, Diego has that. Oh, he does. He has that style. And but he also comes with a lot more pace than which than with than what uh, Keith Jardine did. And so when I'm looking at this fight, I'm going Diego's pace and then the, the way his punches come and the way he throws, it, it could throw off, it could throw Kevin off and just start making him fight a fight he's not comfortable with, you know? And we've seen kind of Kevin fold a little bit as he starts to get tired. Yeah. So this is one of those fights you never know. Makes it, I don't know. It's, I, I'm kind of interested in it, but we'll see. We'll see. We will. With what that, else you got for us, yeah. Dave? Let's hop into this next one. Um, so you guys know it's been ongoing for a while now. Dana White and Jake Paul just don't seem to get along anymore. <laughs> They're buddies. Never, they, they never did. What are you talking um, about, man? Those guys are best buds. <laughs> Jake, Jake comes out and basically you know calls out all these fighters, Nate Diaz, Kamaru Usman, George Masvidal. Dana says no chance, and he says... Basically, no chance to these fights while they're under UFC contract. He said he has a challenge for Jake Paul, 
He said, he, this guy keeps saying I'm a cokehead. He can randomly cocaine test me for the next 10 years if I can randomly steroid test him for the next two. So let's get your reaction <laughs> to that. Uh, no, the best part was, scroll down a little bit. Can you scroll down to where he had wrote his comments? Yep. He says at the very end, he's like, go hump somebody else's leg, you goofball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, he's got that kind of right. I thought it was pretty cool because, you know, we call him poodle hair. And I'm just thinking to myself, go hump somebody else's leg. That was pretty good. He's, he's always yeah. like, he, he's always crawling up Dana's, you know, pant leg or whatever you want to say, man. He's always bringing Dana into the conversation. But he's doing it for a reason. You know, he's it's getting him a lot of attention. And that's, you know, when you're Dana and you have that you know, personality and you have the clout that he has as far as people listening to him and things like that. Smart of Jake Paul to attack the guy that, you know what, he's got a whole lot of people listening. So don't blame yeah. him. No, I, um, Jake's going to keep doing what he's doing, Oh yeah, you know, and he's stop. not going to stop. It's, it's making him money. But I thought and, it was, uh, I thought it was a very fair, Hey, you know, you can test me for cocaine. No problem. 10 years. Yeah. I just yeah. get two years of you for peds <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know who's gonna lose that one quicker <laughs> uh i mean who knows john i mean he's still young maybe he's all natural he might be natural have you seen the I, difference I in size and what he's come on man i don't i don't come know. on I, I, look john look at dana wise old man first off dana didn't say hey you can test me for steroids and i'll test you for steroids <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, but John, the, the, a wise old man once told me, maybe you might recognize this, is, you know, you can't accuse people until they've been uh, found guilty. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, what's to me is more telling and not in just in this, but not in this situation here. But the one thing that came out was there's the pay-per-view numbers there, Dave. Mm -hmm. I believe they only did 69,000 pay-per-view buys. 65. 65,000. Sorry. Yeah. That's not good, John. No, that would that would make Showtime not too happy. Well, you got to think. I mean, I believe his contract is for fifteen million. Now, I don't know how that's broken up, yeah. but Jake Paul's contract was, I believe, for fifteen million, and I don't know if it was five million a fight that's or if it I, was ten. That's what I had heard. So, okay, so I don't know how many fights that, but like those numbers don't resonate when you're talking pay per view buys sixty nine. That's not good. Well, he's already so, well sixty five. Eh, man, let's go back to the first. The first one he had with uh, Tyron. T Wood, on Tyron. That one sold a lot. In fact, that yeah. paid that paid for all of his fights easy. So, yeah. You know, well, I'm sure I they mean, would like more. I, yeah, they're gonna have to do something though with a different a different challenger. Obviously, but, I mean, okay, like you know, I think that's what happened. Was just they came in last minute and okay, we've already seen them beat them. Yeah. Now we're gonna get the same. That's exactly it. I think time. people said I already watched it once and it wasn't it wasn't good then. So why am I gonna watch it again? Because then they missed the knockout this time. They, they did, but you know, if you're if you're looking at this, I can understand Dana's frustration with Jake Paul in the fact that he keeps attacking UFC fighters. As far as he keeps trying to call out UFC fighters, and he's always calling out guys that are weight classes below him. Yeah, you know, and that and I agree with Dana in that. It's like, hey. Take on somebody who is of your size, and I'm not even saying of your age because he's pretty young, but, you know, someone who's reasonably, 
and if you want to go after, you know, the big names and stuff, go after Anderson Silva. He's boxing. He's 47 years old now. I mean, 46, 47, right? But he's an actual, and he is of your size because he'll weigh the 190 some pounds and he'll, he'll be above that during the fight night. And he's an, he's a UFC champion, you know, way more than if you want to say Tyron Woodley and stuff, as far as title defenses and all those things, here's a guy you could really make your name on. And from what I heard, that was the number one person that people wanted to see Jake Paul fight next. So it's out there. People are asking for it. They're telling you what they want to see. So do it. If you beat Anderson Silva, I'm going to be very impressed. Yeah, there's that. I guess the other option, why not uh, Vitor Belford? Yeah, you know, because I think they're working with Vitor's with the uh, that's, the Triller. Uh, with Triller. Okay, I thought they were all. Oh, no, that's no, right. No. They're not. Yeah, yeah Tryout. I keep thinking Tryout. The, the Dorito chip. Triller, Dorito chip. Going with the Dorito gotcha. chip, baby. But regardless, you know what I mean? Like, there's guys out there that are available. I don't know if, if Vitor has a three-fight deal or if it's just a one-off every time. You know, but regardless, there's other fighters that are out there that are available. I'm telling you. And that, that are I of your size. Nate, yeah, Nate is not your size, buddy. Like, Nate, Nate's... No. Again, you know, he's probably, the guy that yeah. started his career at 155 pounds, and most of his career has been at 155. And, yeah, he's fought at 172. But come on. See, this is... Yeah. It's the whole thing of there's a reason for weight classes. You know that, Josh. I know that. Yeah. All right? Like the UFC started off no weight classes. You saw how long that went because you can't get quality, smaller fighters to say, I'll fight that bigger guy because they're, they're fighting so much uphill as far as weight and strength, and they have to, they have to put out so much more energy and output to be able to just deal with something that's natural for somebody else that they put their weight on them. It doesn't mean anything. You know, it's just do me a favor, fight a guy that's your size. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Uh, Anderson's a tough fight. It's a tough fight. I I might even say I'm here. I'm not going to sit up here and say that he's going to beat Anderson. He's not going to beat Anderson. He could. Look, he can box. We we talked about this before. You know, I have people that are around him that, you know, that look at they were world champions. They said, "Look, he can box, John. He can box." Yeah. So I believe him. I know the guy mm-hmm. can box. Yeah. What he can't do is handle true adversity with the abilities of a guy who's been there and been in those situations a lot. Because when Got adversity it. hits, that's when you know. That's when things are made. That's when you. That's that's when you know you're showing exactly who you are. And he may, he may, you know, show. Hey, he handles that adversity well. But you know, the first fight with Woodley, you know, maybe a little bit of adversity and didn't handle it great. Yeah. Okay, and so let's see. I don't know. You know, like like I said, Anderson, <laughs> Anderson could be his dad. Mm-hmm. If Anderson's forty-seven years old. He's what, 25, 24, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, he's a baby. Okay. He might be up to 26. Yeah. I don't know. Is he that old? Eh, I don't know what happened there. I would rather oh, see him fight 24. Anderson Silva than Tommy Fury. Yeah. I hope they don't try to put that fight back together. 
I have no, I have no desire to see that fight. That fight's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna sell. <laughs> did you see did you see Dyson Fury being interviewed? Yes. Ah, that yes. was the best. <laughs> Dave, pull that one up. I I think I put it in the news feed. Pull that thing. one up. That's the best. That's, 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 that says everything. So good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I put it. Oh in yeah, our, yeah, I yeah, I put yeah. It in our in our news feed. Let's see. Now that yeah, was a Tyson quality Fury, interview. Um, so that, that's eight minutes. So I'm not going to play that. Let me just. You don't have to play eight minutes. No, no, there's no, that, a section that, no, about the, thirty seconds. That's the con- that's the conference highlight. No, there's a you know the top one up there at the top. Yeah, so, but yeah. it's eight minutes. Oh, long. okay. I'm not going to play an eight minute video just to try. No, I think it's the very. Here, I've got I've got the thing. Maybe they have. What? I've got the one you sent. Let me just that one up top. top there you quick. go. Yeah, yeah. MacBook Pro. So right, that one's great. There we go. So funny. Can we get some volume here? Yep. That's so funny. <laughs> so what is this? Who is this? Jake Paul's had a lot to oh, say. Excellent MMA put put out this video and it says. One of the broadcasters is asking Tyson Fury, who's t- uh, Tommy Fury's brother, asking him about it. Go ahead and replay it again. Half brother. Well, thanks for talking all over that entire thing, Josh. <laughs> well, you have to explain what's going on, Dave. Otherwise, no one knows what the hell you're talking about. I love it. So before you got triggered, Paul's had a lot to say. Paul could go suck a dick for all I care. Pussy. Go on. What's next? <laughs> I don't want to know. I'm not yeah. interested. No, he was saying we're talking. There are two shit house pussies, <laughs> and they could never live in my world because they're fucking bitches. How can you not love Tyson Fury? Oh, they're bitches. <laughs> Punk ass pussy bitches. He he would squash both oh, those guys. At the, Just dude, dead. it was so great. They would have to have a tag team match that they both were able to be in the ring at the same time. Yeah, he would kill both of them. So Jake Paul also has 20 million followers, subscribers on YouTube, right? Um, what yeah. many of us would aspire to attain. And um, the first fight was getting over a million views, a video, just like the build-up to it, the press conference, uh-huh. the the the, un- the embedded stuff that they do. And the second fight was getting a half a million or less. Um, yeah. So that should have been an indication. Yeah, but remember they just threw, they threw the the second fight together they, in what two weeks. There was a lot of things going on. If you th- if you take a look, and I think one of the biggest problems that uh, you know Jake Paul was having was Tommy Fury wasn't selling the fight. The only thing that really sold the fight at all was the press conference, and it was more between Tommy Fury's dad, Tyson's dad, yeah. going after Jake Paul and Jake Paul and him battling back and forth. That kind of got it going, but. Yeah. It takes two guys to sell the fight. You, know, you can always have the one that's the lead. He's the A side, you know. But to sell a fight, you've you've got you you got to sell it. You got to make people believe. And the second one didn't have enough enough time no. to even do that. So I can understand it. Yeah. What what you I guess what people need to remember is that it takes weeks, if not months, of money and promotion to to build these fights marketing um if the ufc or bellator just puts out a fight i mean we get on bellator all the time about like hey we should be marketing a little bit you know a little bit more in terms of when it comes to our big time level fights um the ufc that's the one thing that their mechanism one thing they do perfectly exactly they do an incredible job they kill you with promotion just non-stop and if you don't believe that and you don't think you think that they can promote more? Just look at the numbers in which when fighters fight, 
that are in their main cards, their numbers grow on social media exponentially. Like if you've made, if, if you finally are a fighter with from the prelims to the main card, you now are being followed by two, 300,000 people. And it's almost like as a, it's a given right off the bat, <clears throat> you know? So I was, uh, that, that's what they do very well as the UFC does. All right, next. All right, with that, let's hop into some fan questions. So let me just pull these up here. I want to thank you guys so much for supporting us over this whole year. But I also want to also thank one of our sponsors in mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag. If you guys go there for any of the stuff, to any of the events, sporting events, fights, football, basketball, anything, they've got gambling on there. They've got bets that you go ahead and lay down. If you use our promo code WayneIn at mybookie.ag, they're going to give you a little extra spending cash for your first initial buy-in. So with that QR code right there, they're going to give you a little extra cash using our promo code weighing in. If you guys use that code, they're going to give you some extra cash at mybookie.ag. We want to thank them. We want to thank you guys so much for supporting us. We want to thank them for supporting us as well. And the way we can do that is by having you guys use our promo code weighing in at mybookie.ag. The first one comes from MKS who asks, question for both. I may be oversimplifying it, but do you think that uh, Hafian starts showed a great way to combat Dagestani wrestling and MMA when he was always halfway to sprawling like against Magomed Magomedov love the podcast hashtag and <laughs> um well there's there's a couple different ways you can look at that when someone's halfway to sprawling it's also easier to get to their head yeah so he could could have head snapped him down. It's his athleticism, his ability to see things coming. And like when he talked about on the show a couple of days ago, it's his timing. It's the timing in which he he can stuff takedowns as well as get takedowns. So and with reshoot Magomed, on Magomed, the takedown and reshoot on the takedowns with Magomed Magomedov. Right, you already knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to shoot. So all he had to do was stay prepared, and it's obviously easier said than done. But his speed, his athleticism, his ability to wrestle. With the best of them, that showed and that came through right away. And as soon as he was able to stop a couple takedowns and his confidence grew, the fight started to get away from Magomed Magomedov. So, and I, you know what I really liked, John, when I talked about the comment section being positive in this comment section, tons of people were, were excited about his energy. They were excited about the way that he fights. They loved the fact that that they had seen or they had finally got to see him fight against Magomed Magomedov and understanding that if you beat Magomed the way he beat him, that they were impressed with that. Got to remember, I think he, I believe he finished the fight on Magomed's back. I believe that's how the fight finished. So there was that exchange towards the end of the third round. I think when he was able to get Magomed's back, I don't know if he finished the fight in that position or not. I can't remember, but. That says a lot. I mean, like his ability to scramble, his ability to get in top positions and dominate positions and stop takedowns and land your strikes. I thought he looked very good in that fight. And he's got a, he's got a lot of room. To, he's got a lot of things to achieve between now and the, the finals. But at least one of the toughest guys right there is he's proven that he deserves to be in that top top tier. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you when you look at the scramble situations, you know, we talk, you know, when you're coaching – you know, we, we talk about, you know, the high head will win the position. You know, keep get high. And he did that every time. His his was the head that popped out, and then he drove him down in the, the canvas and everything. And you just look at what he was able to do. But it was, again, the speed difference. Rafion is fast. And there's only one guy in the Bantamweights that matches that exact speed, in my opinion, with that Rafion has, and that's Horiguchi. Horiguchi is that kind of speed, too. So... That's uh, 
that's a matchup. And the one thing that's really, I love when people can look at someone like Rafion, see that, man, this guy is talented and he's got personality. He is a fun individual. He can, he can, you know, be serious about things. He can laugh about things. He can joke about himself at times, but when it comes to the fight, he's going to go out there and give you everything he has. I'm glad people are, you know, seeing how good this guy really is. Now this is true. Next, next question from Forrest Gump. On a recent podcast, what? Mark Mark Coleman told of Big John showing preferential treatment to his opponent Pete Williams in their fight. Can you go over what you remember refing this fight, specifically letting Pete grab the fence to prevent takedowns? <laughs> yeah, that would be me allowing Pete to cheat. Uh, at the time, grabbing the fence was allowed. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, pe- people get into a lot of things with the old UFC and, oh, you allowed it. People, if you don't know what the rules were at the time, don't, you know, it, it's don't a different it. sport. Okay. I don't even know what the rules are now. I know. That's it, right? <laughs> I give people all the time, you let him hit him to the groin. You did nothing. You're right. Oh, I did it yeah. because at the time it was legal. <laughs> you know, and so. Uh, That's so funny. I would have never have thought it was legal at that time. It was. In the cur- okay. It, I, it was. All right. Here's the truth. <sighs> there was UFC 7. Between UFC 7 and UFC 8, there was the ultimate ultimate. Most people don't remember yeah. it or anything like that, but they took the guys who had won, you know, the only ones that weren't in it, Hoist wasn't in it, uh, he was already out, and Ken Shamrock wasn't in it. But it was, you know, Tank Abbott, Dan Severn, Oleg Tuktarov, Marco Huas, uh, Steve Jenham, Keith Hackney. They put these guys together, in, you know, in a, in a you know, one-day tournament. You had to win the three fights. And there was a fight. The second fight uh, of their night was Marco Huas, against Oleg Tuktarov. And in that, there was a point where Huas was taking Tuktarov down and Oleg grabbed the cage behind him and pulled himself to a standing position, you know, to keep from being uh, underneath Huas. And I just looked at it and said, man, that's just, that has nothing to do with skill. That has to do with that piece of material behind you. And so after the whole show and everything, I went to the guy who was the owner, Bob Myers. I said, hey, you know, did you notice, you know, in this fight, you know, the way he used the case, I said, we cannot have people doing that. I go, it's just not, it's not good. I love that. That's what he's telling me. I thought it was the greatest part of that fight. I love everything. Right. So move on. Then we have, um, a fight between Balizish male mm-hmm. and I want to say Takiyama from, uh, from uh, Japan, and yeah. Valise Ishmael is doing everything he can to get him down, and he is holding the cage and everything. Valise can't get him down because the cage is, I mean, his feet are off of the ground, and he's got his hands on it. He's just being pulled out and bounced back. You know, can't do anything about it. It's legal. Then it was Jerry Bolander fights Fabio Gurgel. Fabio Gurgel at the time was a phenomenal jiu-jitsu guy. He's world champion. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's an incredible instructor now and everything. But Jerry Bolander is holding the cage. He's on top of Gurgel, and Gurgel is trying to move, and he's holding the cage just to hold Gurgel in position to the point all the chain link is just all twisted and bent out of shape. And it's and I, I'm like, can you not? You know what? Let me think about it more. And so it gets past a couple more. 
that's that's about the time of the Coleman and uh and uh Pete Williams fight and Coleman gets knocked out getting kicked to the face and they finally allowed me to change the rule where grabbing the grabbing the fence was not allowed. Got it. So Yeah, that's one of those rules. <laughs> I would have never. I, I thought it was long gone before that. Nope. I don't know why. I thought nope. it was long gone before that. Next. From Jay Luna, question for both. Was Matt Riddle a missed opportunity by the UFC? He got cut from the UFC at age 28 while on a four fight win streak. Now he is a rising star in WWE. He clearly has a talent and personality to become a star in either promotion. I think he was a missed opportunity. I think it was. He kept getting popped for marijuana by the athletic commissions at the time. It was, I want to say it was Nevada because they tested for marijuana and, and Matt couldn't stay away from it uh, long enough to not, you know, test hot. So I think it was, uh, I'm not sure at the time when he got popped if it was 50 nanograms or 150 nanograms because they started adjusting it and making it more. But, um, you know, he came off of the Ultimate Fighter show. He had personality. And he was a good fighter. He was a tough kid. And uh, I think he could have actually done pretty well in MMA. Um, he was getting better because he wasn't, you know, when he was actually in the UFC, and you look at how long he was in the UFC, you know, he started off not knowing a whole lot. And he was getting better and better. And his personality, come on, if he's doing well with the WWE and his personality is working there. How in the world would it not have worked in the UFC? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with John in terms of it's it was a missed opportunity. <clears throat> I also want to say that when you're looking back at certain fighters, guys like a Nick Diaz, where their careers were ruined because of the marijuana situation, which now is apparently being lenient on. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what does that tell you? I mean, like when you go back, they're going to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to ruining these poor young kids' careers. Now, with Riddle, he's in the WWE making a ton of money. Probably, you know, he's growing pretty well. And he's not, I mean, sure, he's taking some damage, but he's not taking brain damage, at least not as much as he would be if he was trading every single day, five days a week or six days a week, getting punched in the head. So there's different ways of looking at it. But, I mean, yeah, if you look at it overall, he was a missed opportunity for sure. No doubt. <clears throat> Next. Shout out to the tag team champ, Matt Riddle. Uh, <laughs> Carter oh. Smith asks, when do you think it's too late for someone to think about pursuing an MMA career? What would be your advice for the first steps? Personally, I've been training BJJ for over a year and found my life passion in this art. Curious of your thoughts. It all depends on on what your you know, idea of what you want to get out of the sport. You know, it's all about what you put in and what you expect to get out. Now, if you're expecting to become a world champion, you're going to be the UFC, you know, whatever weight champion of the world. If, you know, you are past 21 years of age and you're just starting, you're starting way late and it's probably not going to happen. You better be a phenomenal athlete with a lot of background in at least wrestling or some type of striking because there's just too much you're the sport has grown to the point where, you know, when I was owning a gym, I had kids that started off, you know, at six years old. Well, they're fighting now. Okay. They started doing MMA at six. 
Now, they weren't, you know, in a cage punching each other in the head, but they were learning jujitsu. They were learning wrestling individually. They were learning kickboxing. And they were learning at times how to mesh it all together. And they, they're so natural at it. That's a lot of time to make up. And that's what you have now coming out in the sport. You have these people, you know, that are 22 years of age that have been training in MMA for 12 years. You know, it's, it's amazing what the sport has evolved to. But if, you know, you're saying, you know, I want to be an MMA fighter. I want to, you know, I want to go prove my, you can prove yourself at any age as long as you're matched up in an equitable fashion with someone that is of the same, you know, skill set or the same, you know, age and everything. That's what you're looking for. We have people, you know, Rich Chow is one of the, um, matchmakers for Bellator and, you know, was, and he's working with Wimp to Warriors now. And that's a program where they take people that, you know, are out of shape, never done anything in their life, put them into a martial arts background, put them in with people to train them, put them on a diet, put them through a training schedule and get them an amateur fight. And they've done that even with women that are grandmas, Yep. And it's phenomenal because those people get to compete. They get to feel what it's like. Is it for anything big? No, it's a personal big. It's something that's inside them that they, they're the ones that care about it. So their fight to them is just as important as the UFC world championship fight is to Charles Oliveira. Okay. Because they've put time and effort into it. So it's, it's what do you expect to get out of it? There's a lot to get out of it, and, and it just depends on, you know, what you're looking for. If you're looking to be a champion, I'm telling you, you better start in your teens now because everyone else is, and it's tough to catch up. Yeah, I think if you're looking to start, I think you hit the nail on the head. Maybe try a program like a Wimster Warrior. That's a perfect idea. Like, if you think in terms of you think you're too old to start, or you're not sure if this is something you want to do. Sure, your passion for watching it on TV, your passion for hitting the bag and hitting the mitts and, and grappling and doing the wrestling and, and wall drills. Those are all great passions to have when you're training with people of equal and, and, and like minds. Those are great. But if you get into the mix with, say, professional fighters that are top level guys in the UFC or in Bellator and one or in wherever they're at. You're going to have a different perspective because they're not going to treat you the same. They're not, you're not going to be equally the same. You're going to be the rag doll going going to, around. Yeah, you're going you to be go. the stepping stone every single day. You're going to be getting smashed. You're the body being thrown around. That's not fun. Nope. That your passion will, will fall by its side real quickly. I think John hit the nail on the head. Our friend Rich Chow, he's head of North America for Wimps to Warrior. You guys, there's, they have <clears throat> in locations all around the U.S. and all around also the world. In, all around the world, actually, yeah. They've got them in Australia, New Zealand, I believe. Ireland. Um, they've got in Ireland. You know, they've got them all around the U.S. There's one in Montana. There's one in Texas. There's a couple everywhere. They're doing several here in California. Um, you can go to a gym where you're trained by a coach, and they put you on a program, and you basically, at the end, if you want to fight, you can. They can book you a fight, and if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. That's the thing. You can do all the work. And if you just come down to it and you're like, you know what? I've done enough. I don't feel like I need to fight. Then you don't have to. But it's a program in which they will help guide you in the direction you need to go with trainers and coaches. And you're with like-minded people. And then some of those teammates that you train with, they may potentially fight. So you can go and support them. 
I do know that he is working on something right now in the Bay Area where it's Uriah Faber, potentially Uriah Faber's gym uh, versus uh, Gilbert Melendez's gym. So those are two things that are phenomenal. I know that there's talk at AKA as well, and even using DC's program down in Morgan Hill, Gilroy area of them putting together two teams and them trying to do it as well. So there's four different teams in the Bay Area that which you can train at if you live close enough to one or the other. <clears throat> so those are things and avenues that you guys can try and see if you really have the passion. You'll know. Oh, yeah whether you got the passion or not. So it's the morning training early. It's the diet nutrition. Then it's the training session in the early afternoon. And then plus the cardio sessions and everything like that. They put it together all for you. And you just got to be part of it. You know, so that's something maybe you should check into for the Wimps of Warrior. That'll find out what your passion is. Next. Next from Skrilla Sam TV. Question for Big John. What's your favorite three fights that you refed and which was the hardest for you to work? Uh, horrible question. <laughs> There's too many. I've I've done too many fights to sit there and break it down. You know, I always I always try to go with you know here's a here's a fight from the UFC that I thought was great. And I always say it was uh, Lawler against McDonald. Incredible fight. You know, but I've had you know Jones versus Gustafson. That was an incredible fight. You know, just everything that was you know happening in that fight. You know, the things that were happening. Both of those had elements where, you know, I, I was concerned. I was concerned, you know, with uh, Rory and what was happening with him. I was concerned with Robbie to a point in that fight. With John, uh, you know, the doctor wanted me to stop the fight. That wasn't a good thing, I thought, at the time, so I didn't do that. But, you know, you're, you're going to have those. But I've had, you know, too many great fights. Bellator, I thought the Alvarez versus Chandler fight, the second one that I did, was unbelievable. Just you talk about two guys putting it all on the line, going after it, just unbelievable. Derek Campos fighting Brandon Gertz was just incredible. It had one of the greatest cuts ever on the forehead that they ended up stopping Michael the fight. Jordan. The Michael Jordan displayed out. Michael Jordan. Unbelievable. And Gertz just kept coming, man. And so I've been lucky enough to do uh, some incredible fights throughout time. Uh, Did you do any of the uh, ninja fights, the Dan Henderson and Shogun. Sorry, no, Ninja Shogun did fights. not do any of the Shogun versus uh, Dan. First one was 139. That was done by uh, Josh Rosenthal. That yeah. was the same night as Chandler and uh, Eddie Alvarez won. That's right. Yep, because yeah. I was there. With that night had Pringle, two of yeah. the best fights ever on yep. that day. Incredible. That 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 first Chandler and Eddie Alvarez fight, I was there watching it. I going, this is insane. Yeah. And then they <laughs> came back and did insane. it again. Yeah, yeah. Insane. insane. Crazy. Great stuff. Any other fight? There, you, that was two. Uh, you had two. You had Robbie and, and Rory, and you had uh, uh, Chandler. and uh, Yeah, that two. was Bellator, and if yeah, I was going to go, um, oh, man, let's see. Uh, going back in time, who the hell knows? I'll tell you what. I, I, BJ Penn, when he fought uh, Matt Hughes the second time, it was an incredible fight, and and BJ had Matt in trouble, and then he, he something popped in his ribs, and and Matt got him in a crucifix, and you know, BJ is yeah. actually telling me, "Don't stop it, John," as he's getting pounded. Eventually, you know, I stopped it, but just an incredible uh, fight back and forth, and those guys were, I, I really enjoyed that one a lot too. So, next question next. from Pug Nasty: What was your thoughts on Genki Sudo? And how would you? How would he have been if he wasn't a huge entertainer? Hashtag and still. 
has nothing to do with if he wasn't a huge entertainer. I mean, he was, he was, and that's the thing. You can't, you can't look past that. I think he was, he was king of the walkouts. The, yeah. I think he, he came at the wrong time. Yeah. That's really what happened to him. He was, he was a special individual, not just in fighting, but his energy, his, his personality, what he brought the, you know, we are all one flag. Yep. I mean, you see people running around with that flag now as if like they created it. No, 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 no. Thank you, Sudo. This guy had, this guy's been doing it. He'd been doing it forever. I, I honestly would like to find out where he's at and what he's doing these days. I know he had went away and was doing some music videos for a while because he was a, he was a really good, like you said, entertainer, but he was a really good dancer. Yeah. And he had a lot of videos that came out with different types of music. Now, I don't know if he sang those music or that music or if he was all just part of the video se- sequences and stuff, but he was a phenomenal entertainer, but he was also a phenomenal fighter. Um, you know, he had fought in K1 after the UFC. He had fought in K1. Then he had, you know, he had fought in, uh, Dr- I think it was Dream. Was it Pride? No, he fought in Pride or eh, I think sure. it was just K1. I think it was just K1. Well, fought, I remember him having heroes. a lot of success. Heroes. That's heroes what it was. was. One. So he had knocked out Hoyler. Yeah. So when he had knocked out Hoyler and there's, I have that picture. I think I still have that picture of him bowing over Hoyler and yep. Hoyler's knocked out. You know, but then uh, in the finals, he got he got knocked out by uh, Kid Yamamoto. Rest in peace yep. to the young man. So, yeah, just it's it's so crazy the history because Genki and Sudo and I were supposed to fight several times. You, you were supposed, supposed to fight to Genki? Happen. Yes, I was supposed to fight him in the UFC. Really? They had they had tried to get me. Yeah, Joe Silva had called me several times to fight him, and I was supposed to fight him in the UFC. And remember when he fought Dwayne Ludwig? Yeah. That was supposed to be my fight. Let's talk about that fight. That was supposed to be my fight. That And so I, I something happened. I want to say, of course, Josh Thompson got hurt again. And I think it was what it was. But that fight took me out. <laughs> but that was, that was supposed to be my fight. That was supposed to be him and I. I wanted that fight so bad. Because I just knew the entertainer he was. He was going to be such a great fight. And it just, it just didn't happen. Oh, it frustrated me so bad. But what do you want to talk about with that fight? Well, that fight, you know, people go back in time and you want to talk about different fights and stuff. But that fight, that changed the rules. That fight between Dwayne Ludwig and Genki Sudo. Because people don't you know realize going back in time, the rules at the time of that fight were if, as the referee, I stopped the fight because one fighter had a cut or anything like that, and I stopped it just to take him to the doctor to have the cut checked or anything like that or have the fighter checked out in any fashion, I then couldn't put them back in the same spot. I had to start them from their corners. That was what the rules were. And in that fight, Dwayne Dwayne had gotten his nose broken bad, and he was gurgling blood. As Genki was on top of him, you know, and in good position, and he's pounding on him, and Dwayne starts, you know, even you know, trying to turn his head aside and blow it out, and it's just, you know, and, he, and you can hear him gurgling it. So I'm like, let me check to make sure that they're, you know, they're going to allow him to go on. So I didn't even think about the fact that okay, when I stand him up, I got to start him from the corner. So I bring him over to the doctor, and I'm actually thinking the doctor's not going to let him go. And the doctor looks at him and goes, "Yeah, it's broken, but yeah, let him go. He, he can fight." And I went, "Ah, shit." I got to start him from the corners. I put him in the corners and Dwayne comes out and he knocks Genki down and proceeds to kick at Genki and he beats on Genki for the rest of the round. And he ends up crane technique and he, he does a little crazy thing and he ends up winning the fight. 
He wins it. I believe it was a judge's decision. I'm not sure if it was a split decision or a unanimous, but he wins the fight. And, you know, Mark Ratner being, you know, a uh, smart guy, he says, hey, we, we need to change that rule. That That's wrong. I said, I've been, I've been asking for this change for how long? I said, it should have been that I pick him up, I take him there, I put him back on the ground in the same position, put Genki on top of him, and let the fights play out. But that's not what I was allowed to. He goes, "Yeah, we're, we're, we've got to we got to work at changing that." And Mark was one of the key uh, contributors in getting that rule put into where we could put them back in the same position. So yeah, yeah, that was uh, that I think that was his that was his last fight or his only fight in the UFC, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but he had two. I think he had two fights up, in the UFC. Dave? I think he had two. Yeah, yeah, that was the fight that I was hoping. Um, I think he, I, I think he fought I in England won. though. I think it was a. Uh, um, Lee Remedios. That's it. Boom. Yep. Yep. Lee Remedios. Who used to yep. bleach his hair blonde. Yep. 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 There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a UFC 38? Yep. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot he had a, a win over Mike Brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had a win over Mike Brown. Uh, scroll up a little bit. He also more. had a win over... Oh, wait, uh, three three fights in the UFC then? I didn't see the Mike Brown one, but the, uh, the Lee... Oh, so he had Dynamite in between. You dynamite in between. Wow. Yep. Interesting. I didn't. I yeah. He had the greatest. You talk about king of the walkouts. The guy had the most entertaining walkouts. There's been guys that have done great things, but he was the master. And the ones that he had, the one he had at Heroes, he had to have like 30 people involved in it with the dance scenario oh. upon thing. It was unbelievable. It was crazy. Yeah. I forgot he fought Ole Larson. <clears throat> Ole Larson was yeah. the first guy that I thought looked like Jesus. <laughs> remember him he fought demacio um, page i remember that yes remember demacio yeah, from a, uh jackson's had, yes i do yeah. tough yeah, dude yeah yeah he was a tough tough yeah, dude. he was yeah he's fought demacio page he lost to Nor uh yamamoto he beat uh he beat takara he beat hold on Yada, hold on no no go go down roman go, go down roman decker he wow. fought roman decker man it's crazy <laughs> Just and then he, he submission be heel hook. He's, he goes, yeah, I'm smart. not standing up with this dude. <laughs> but you know, he had a lot of kickboxing fights himself. Yes, he did. Like he had yeah. a lot of K1 kickboxing fights. It wasn't just MMA. He fought some kickboxing uh, K1 fights. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, he was tough, man. Well, he, he was, was tough. That was the fight that got away from me. You know, I look back in my career and I look at fights that I really wanted to get. And I, I always forget about him because he, he wasn't in the UFC very long. But a lot of the times we were supposed to fight, the one time was the one that we got the closest was the UFC. But I was supposed to fight him over in Heroes as well. There was talks of me fighting him over there because the UFC didn't have our weight class anymore at that time. Yeah. <clears throat> and and Scott Coker was already working with doing the strike force situation. But it was like in that that mix of or getting ready to start the strike force situation when Heroes was around. So that's when I was supposed to potentially go over there and fight there. Yeah, that's a fight that I would have loved to have got back. But man, always respected that Total. guy. Total. He was always always the one trying to unite everybody. Yep, great and guy. We, we could use a Yankee Sudo right now in this world. So more of them. Um next. All right, next question from Bookie's Free Bet. Damage as a judging category. Does someone for argument's sake like Nate Diaz get scored against when he cuts? No. Damage is not you don't go off of damage as far as cuts. What the cut will tell you is something landed. Sometimes it lands fairly lightly and it slices. 
sometimes it lands really heavy and it you know creates the big old gash but the the cut itself is good for one one scoring opportunity you it's not going to give you more than that and it's a lot of people get confused by that it's damage can be a variety of things when you're looking at it you know you're you're looking at a fighter and damage can be they get hurt by a shot they get you know wobbled they go down okay that's a certain type of damage when someone gets knocked off of their feet onto the ground and is hurt you can't ask for much more than that that's hitting a home run in the sport of mma in the sport of boxing then you're taking a look at damage that is combined damage that's where you can get like the cuts you can get the hematomas and things like that the lumping up the swelling those are cumulative there's a lot of shots that took you know took that to happen there's a lot of shots landed and then you'll get into damage of the person's physical abilities you see a person getting hit to the body and you see them slowing down and being you know just systematically broken down and uh that's a that's a form of damage also so there's a lot of categories of damage for a judge to look at it's not just oh a laceration or a or a hematoma it's how much power was on the shot how much as far as the volume of damaging shots you know heavy shots are always going to be what they're looking for the most then it goes off of shots that you know cumulative damage and then you'll get into that the overall effect of all of those shots how much damage did it do to the person throughout the you know continuum of the fight now in the third round because of all those body shots he's now not able to protect his head because his elbows are down tight into his body because he can't take any more body shots those are the things judges are kind of looking at next next question uh, and we'll actually we'll call this the last question for the sake of time on this show for the show uh there from, was one dave that i want you to go through i'll we'll have to try and find it i'll see if i can pull it up okay uh, but go ahead go ahead from Corbin Hopkins. Well, I'm glad Josh. you get to see these things before. I don't really see these Well, they're things. on the YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, that's why I don't see them. <laughs> Corbin Hopkins asks, Josh, what goes into choosing a gym for training? What matters the most? Coaching, teammates, cost, location, etc. What led you to AKA over there other options? Well, so there's a lot of things that led me to AKA. First, I was born and raised here in San Jose. I moved away for high school, you know, around that time and came back afterwards. <clears throat> That's one thing. So I have a lot of family here. Um, that was one situation. Two is at the time that could to be considered one of the best fighters in the world, which was Frank Shamrock. He lived here in San Jose, was training here at AKA. And so I went to AKA hoping to train with him. And that's when I met Bob Cook, Charles Taylor, Kelly Delante, Ryan Bowe, Javier Mendez. Like that was the group that was there in front of me. And so those are the people that we started training with. And shortly after they moved that gym, probably like a year after I started training there, they moved it to the bigger AKA, which is where BJ Penn and Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson was always around, but I didn't see him at the old gym. But at the new gym, Brian started coming around, sort of making a big name for himself in, in Japan in pro wrestling and that type of stuff with Vegeta and those guys. And so a lot of it had to do with, I had a lot of family around to kind of, you know, that my grandmother was here. And so, um, that's, that's why I moved back. So I moved back really. This is kind of what I always, I called home to begin with. And so I grew up here and this is where I felt like it was the easiest. So I had a lot of relatives here. Christmases were here. Thanksgivings were here. So, but when choosing a gym, I would not recommend 
an expensive place to live like San Jose. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Horrible. You guys, you got to, you guys got to move to places and locations that that make it uh, affordable to live. Because no matter what, when you're not making money, the money's going out. So wherever you're at, like here, rents here. I got to kid you not. I have friends that are paying rents for a two bedroom. They're paying four thousand dollars a month. I don't know where your rent is there, but for just a little two bedroom, little two bedroom studio, like a little two bedroom condo or apartment, okay, they're paying four four to forty two hundred dollars a month. That's not cheap. And so to live here, and then not to mention gas here is almost six bucks a gallon now. So you're getting, yeah. So gas and everywhere you've got to drive is 20 minutes. And if and right now traffic is not what it used to be, but it's picking back up because people are starting to go back to work now. So imagine being stuck to go 20 minute drive, a 20 minute drive normally will take you a good hour, probably I'd say 45 minutes to an hour now just to go 20 minutes. So in during traffic times, not that you train during traffic times, but the point is, is anything you want to do, that's just time spent away from not resting, you know, not getting food, not laying in bed, not doing all the things you need to do to recover because you're stuck in traffic sometimes. Say you have to go to the DMV, say you've got to go to the grocery store. Don't even talk about going to the go DMV to... in California. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst. So, I mean, these are just things like I would consider also like, what does it cost to register your vehicle? What does it cost to pay your rent? What is, uh, what is the gas prices in those locations in those areas? What are the, what is the cost on food? That's the other thing. You don't realize when I go up to like Idaho to visit my, gra- my, my grandmother, milk there is only like two eighty five, dollars $3 a gallon. You go here, I'm, I kid you not, it's $7, seven and a half dollars okay, for a so gallon of milk. What, what you're really doing right now, and I'd like to point this out to everyone, is I want you to see how dumb my partner, Josh Thompson, really is because he lives in a place that has five five dollar gallon of milk, six dollars a gallon for no, gasoline, forty two hundred dollars for a studio apartment, seven dollars. Which for I don't you. pay. You are an idiot. Move from that damn state. I know. I know. <laughs> it may not be long. <laughs> uh, but all those things are. That's what you should be considering when it comes down to um to where you're finding your gym and your location. But lastly, the last thing is is the chemistry. I had a connection with Bob Cook and I had a connection with a lot of the other guys that were in the gym, but Bob Cook and I became really close friends. And then slowly I became friends with Javier. I was not training with Javier right off the bat. It was years of me being at the gym before I started training with Javier. So don't think that I just came in and oh, Javier is like, I want to coach you. No, it was actually quite the opposite. I had to no chase one wanted him down to, to get mitt work. <laughs> no, I had to chase him down to get mitt work. He didn't want to coach anyone. Javier has said in his own words, and he actually said it on, on, our, on my old podcast, Sammy and the Punk, and I could probably get him to come back on and say it again, is that there would be no Team AK without me because I'm the one that forced him to start coaching Daniel Cormier and start forcing him to coach Mike Swick and start forcing him to coach Koscheck and, and Kane, Kane he didn't have, I didn't have to really force him. He had a, a net, him and Kane got along right off the bat, and he was somebody that he wanted to work with with Kane right off the bat. Kane was a workhorse and was just someone that really – really tried to push but there'd be no team ak team ak didn't start until i started pushing javier to start training them running them at the track holding mitts for all of them you know coaching them i said you don't have to hold for everyone just work with them show them a technique work with them on their on their shadow boxing work with them on their bag work whatever it is be be the coach and once that happened that's what grew this team but I, that comes down to chemistry. You got to find the chemistry. There was a lot of things that I did um, to help put this to help get the team to go together. And so, and Javier and Bob Cook and those guys did the rest. So good for them. 
Um, next. So, so Josh, um, this question, I don't know if it come if it's in any of these I already pre-selected. Do you do you know at all? I like the Aspinall question, but there was one. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Uh, <clears throat> do you remember? There was the one asking me. Sorry, let me put, do you want me? It's all right. Let me see. I can scroll as there well, was... real quick. There was one asking about Tony Ferguson. Um, so, I've got Oliver. Uh, is Oliver have the closest thing to Tony and Khabib? Is that the one? No, no. It was asking me if um. I oh yeah. It was asking me if I. Oh yeah. Let me see Tony. I liked it, so it's gotta it's gotta have a like on there somewhere. So so he it was um. Is it this one? Let's say you would have got a rematch with Tony Ferguson at your active time. Would you have taken... No, it was no. actually... Sorry, it was the one above it. Okay. F read that one. So Fletch Curran asks, For Josh, what was the hardest aspect of fighting from your experience? The weight cut, the daily grind, the fear of losing or getting injured someone else, uh, some, or something else. For John, what's the hardest part of MMA refing? Is it trying to decide when if to stop a fight from an accumulation of damage or is it enforcing stupid rules like the 12 to 6 elbow something else question mark love the show keep up the good work hashtag instill okay so that first part it says for josh what was the hardest aspect of fighting for your experience the weight cut the grind the daily grind all that stuff look <clears throat> the hardest aspect and anyone that tells you different i think they're not lying they maybe just haven't thought about it this way and i spent a little bit of time after i read this question um, Fletcher Curran, I I spent some time really thinking about it because it made me think, what was the hardest part of it all? Well, here's the hardest part is believing in yourself because there was moments when I truly believed that I was the greatest. And there was moments where because of injuries during camp, I didn't know if I was going to win. And that could be anything. See, that's the thing people don't realize the fighters, they believe, they believe in themselves, but how much do they believe in themselves? It changes from fight to fight. No matter how good they are, it changes from fight to fight because I have injuries sometimes or fighters have injuries sometimes when they go in, they go, they start doubting themselves. Is my foot going to hold up? Is my back going to hold up? It, it Like my elbow hurts. You know, I've got whatever. Sometimes fighters come in with small cuts, you know, that they, they're just barely stitched up from a week or two ago. Is it going to open up? Those are the things like the mental preparation. Do I believe in myself enough? And that to me, that mental fortitude is the number one thing that was the hardest thing for fighters to continue to believe in themselves throughout, not just the camp, but to, to continue to believe in themselves during the fight. That's the hardest aspect. I think the hardest period doing the cardio, doing the mitt work, all that shit to me was fun. I loved it. I, you, I, I kid you not. I would run at 6 a.m. So, you know, 5.30, a.m. I'd run three, four miles. And then at night I'd go and run hill sprints at 11 o'clock at night just because I was that guy. I wanted to be that guy. I never wanted to stop. I wanted to. And then after I hit mitts during the day, I'd train and spar during the day. I'd hit mitts again at night. I'd do bag work. I'd do the bike workout. And then I'd go run sprints. I didn't care. I loved the training aspect of it. The grind, the weight cut, the the eating shitty ass food, like just the plain simple food. I loved everything about that. It was the hardest part was remembering to believe in yourself no matter what. That was the hardest part. I like that. John, <clears throat> your your half is your your half of this question is what's the hardest part of MMA refing? Is it trying to decide when if to stop a fight from uh, from an accumulation of damage, or is it enforcing stupid rules like a twelve to six elbow or something else? 
no doubt about it. what's the hardest part of MMA officiating is definitely not, oh, that's a foul. That's pretty simple. And if you don't know those, you know, it, here, here's one of the things I used to do. I've done it to a lot of the people that you consider top referees now and stuff is when you do smaller shows, you do the UFC, you're going back, you'll get a list of the fights that you're doing. You're going to go in the back and you're going to talk to each fighter individually. I'm the dumbass that came up with doing that. And there was reasons for it because that way the fighters could ask you a real question, not in front of their opponent or anything like that. This was the biggest stage for them. So you wanted to have it to where, hey, yeah, you had to do more work as the referee, but you, you did that to make it to where the, there was no doubt when you walked out of that room, that person was able to ask you anything, get the information they needed so they could feel confident going out in the cage. When you did smaller shows, a lot of times you'll do uh, a rules meeting with everybody in the, the room. All the fighters are there, their trainers are there, and you'll go over things you know on a whole with everybody and then if, you know, i would always go and talk to each one individually afterwards just because i felt like i needed to but uh, we would do that and one of the things that i've done it to too many referees a lot of guys were afraid that they were going to not cover something you know and forget about saying something so they would have a sheet of paper or their iphone or something with the rules and starting you know, and they would start going down you know fouls things like that and i would always walk you know by them as they were talking and either grab the piece of paper or grab the phone and just walk off with it and just leave them because i would tell them afterwards i said how stupid do you think you look that you are the guy that supposedly is going to be enforcing these rules and you have to go on your iphone or this piece of paper to remember them i said you're not putting confidence in anybody's you know wheelhouse there with what you're doing you you know these you have to be able to say them inside, outside, backwards, forwards. If I can do it, you can do it. And so that was, you know, one of the things that, you know, with rules and stuff, but the, the hardest thing there is, is the balance. And there's a huge balance. And when I talk about balance, it's you're balancing the safety of the fighter. You want to give the fighter everything that they have, that everything that you can give them in the fight without them getting seriously hurt. And it's, you've got people that you're working for. You're working for the promotion, but you're working for an athletic commission. And you have all of these people who all have opinions about what you should do and when you should do it. And it's all in you. You're supposed to just be perfect to all of them. Not easy to do. So the hardest thing to do is to make that decision of when you're going to allow someone to stay in a fight and when you're going to pull them out of the fight based upon what you are seeing up close and personal compared to what those people are seeing 15, 20, 25 feet back. And sometimes that spacing is huge because what you do see gives you information that allows you to let a fight go on that the people on the outside are saying, oh, you should have stopped it. So you're balancing that whole thing of the safety of the fighter with allowing them to give everything that they can in the fight to possibly get that win. Because the last thing I'll say, I tell referees when I'm teaching them all the time is if you allow something to go too long and that fighter doesn't make it out of that cage or doesn't make it in the, in uh, the ability to come back and fight again, you're the one that's going to live with it. Everybody in the stands, the people that are saying, Oh, you, you suck for stopping that. When that fighter goes off and then dies, 
they're gonna they're gonna sit there and they're gonna go, "Ooh, I knew he should have stopped it." Mm-hmm. You're the one that's gonna have to live with it. Every day that you look in the mirror, you're gonna know. I, I could have done that different, and so you don't want to be that person. So that's that's the hard part. Everyone thinks it's easy, and all I can tell you is, I promise you, it's not. It is not easy. Well, remember that boxer, John, the one that died. <clears throat> the uh, gosh, I can remember too many. Yeah, but there was one most recently that we talked about on the show. I think the middle of last year, or maybe it was. I don't know, it might have been earlier this year. But uh, remember, he the, the ref got a lot of criticism for stopping the fight. I believe it was the ref got a lot of, and we we talked about no, it was a good stoppage, and he died, I believe, later yeah. on that night in the hospital. Yeah. So and there's been quite a few of those. I can I can remember I was at a fight. Kenny Bayless stopped a fight, and uh, he had Kenny Bayless had already had a, a fighter die on him, and he has a guy who's getting beat in the fight, and he stops the fight, and the crowd went crazy. They were booing and everything. And Kenny Bayless is pretty, you know, he's a likable guy. He's a he's a good person when you you get to know him and everything. And you know he cares. And a day later, that fighter died. And so, these are the things that happen, and these are the things that you have to live with. It's not an easy thing. All right, well, hey, on a positive note, let's go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne in. Use that promo code and still. I know Christmas Get is over, but New Year's scale. is around the corner. Yeah. John bringing negative Nancy oh, around here. <laughs> no. But uh, make sure you guys use that promo code and still at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne in. Pick up one of our shirts and uh, share it, I guess, you know, um, for New Year's, New Year's gifts, New Year's presents, whatever it is. I mean, Christmas is over, but it doesn't mean you can't, can't stop giving i guess you should keep giving. always stop give that always give always give i right, want to thank forward. you guys so much go ahead pay, pay it, it forward. forward i like that yeah. i like that pay it forward and in a time like this make sure that everyone understands that you care for them you love them and you let them know by okay? buying so them a weighing in podcast t-shirt yes exactly <laughs> <clears throat> And from Josh Thompson and the Wayne in crew, I just want to say Happy New Year's to you all. Please don't drink and drive. Be safe. And Ubers are really cheap. And if you can, spend your time with your loved ones. Okay? And John, take us off. Last thing I have to say to everyone out there, thank you for following us. I hope that you enjoy uh, the time that we get to spend together. And do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Pick somebody. Pick something this year coming up. You do something special, make their life better, make whatever they have better. You'll be a better person for it. God bless, and we will see you.